The first one is a jumbo release from Arrow Films. This is the Reanimator box set. Uh, it was freaking awesome to see Arrow Films tackle this one. I think everybody loves Reanimator for the most part. You know, it's a cult classic. It's one of the best dark horror comedy movies ever made. Uh, and this bad boy is loaded. Uh, if you guys aren't familiar with the story of uh, Reanimator, it's uh, based off an H.P. Lovecraft story. Uh, it was kind of published in six parts. Uh, and it's a little different from the movie. It's less uh, goofy. Uh, probably his most straightforward and gory and nasty story. Uh, but still, not much like the Reanimator. Uh, it is... Is, but it isn't. Uh, the Stuart Gordon movie is definitely more highly sexualized version and uh, more splatter and comedic. But uh, what happens here is uh, this character uh, uh, Herbert West moves into this Miskatonic uh, Institute and uh, he has these weird experiments where he has a serum that uh, continues brain activity uh, after they have passed. Uh, it's not necessarily a, a good thing and it doesn't really particularly work very well. Uh, the subjects are jerky and crazy and insane. Uh, he kind of enlists the help of a promising student who's dating the Dean's daughter, uh, Dan Kane, and the two embark on this crazy journey. Uh, of course, the Dean himself, Alan Halsey, gets involved and a weird menacing Dr. Carl Hill. And, of course, uh, Megan, who is Dan's girlfriend. Uh, it ends in tragedy. Uh, it's gory. It's ridiculous. Uh, it has some really great sight gags. It's low budget, but you really can't tell the budget because the way it's edited, they do a great job on it. Uh, they, they did the best they could with the effects, and it, it just uh, it pushes all the boundaries and all the limits. It was released on rated. It's just a freaking masterpiece. What can I say about it? It launched the careers of Stuart Gordon and Jeffrey Combs, who uh, became iconic. Uh, Barbara Crampton's also in it and Robert Sampson and uh, David Gale R.I.P. who would go on to be in Guyver and uh, was previously in the movie Savage Weekend. So it's got an all-star cast. Richard Band does a score kind of a psycho light thing. It's really fun. Like a playful uh, Bernard Herman score. Uh, there's not much I can really say anything else that anybody hasn't said about Reanimator but it's just a gory splattery movie that pushes boundaries with a really good cast, a really good script, uh, well acted like I said uh, well written and uh, I, I will say some personal thoughts about the movie uh, you know Jeffrey Combs is great in it uh, you can't even mention the movie without mentioning Herbert West but what I will say is uh, I think that the underdog of the story Brand uh, Barbara Crampton and uh, David Gale are both amazing I love David Gale in this movie his performance is just one of those uh, iconic creepy bad guys and the severed head I don't want to give too much away just in case you haven't seen it but go see it for the love of God but uh, Robert Sampson he plays uh, Dean Halsey he is uh, just one of these really good kind of character actors that uh, gets to play this really juicy role. He starts as this, you know, kind of like loving father figure, but stern. And uh, what happens to him after one of the uh, experiments gone wrong, uh, he turns into this kind of monster, this uh, Frankenstein monster-like character where he's controlled but uh, towards the end of the movie, he has this great arc, and you can see him emote all these things in his face, which is beautiful. I actually wrote a review for this one at the Screaming Toilet page uh, in the link below. If you want to click on it, read it. Uh, for As far as the features, I'm going to read right off the back and kind of talk about them a bit because it's so much on here that I don't remember everything. But I watched everything, and it took four days. So if you're a Reanimator fan and you got four days, then I would highly recommend checking out all the features. Uh, it has the integral cut in here, which is 23 extra minutes, which is great to see. It, it, it kind of cuts the brisk pace of the original Reanimator because it, it's super. Uh, the the Reanimator is like 86 minutes, so it's awesome to watch it, and it's just gory and fun and straightforward. 
uh, with laughs and cringing stuff and good drama. But the 23 minutes really adds some good character moments, some transitionary scenes and stuff like that, and some cool subplots with Dr. Hill digging deeper into how he can kind of hypnotize people, which is really cool. These scenes are also included separate. Also are three commentaries on here, which is crazy. The newest one being which the cat with the cast and crew from the musical, which is kind of cool to see their take on there. They sing a little bit in there. I myself have not seen the musical, but it was nice to see them talk about it. Uh, there's a making of, which I believe is an older one with uh, interviews with all the big players who are still alive. They're, they're fun. Uh, they, they have good memories of the film. Uh, there's also interviews with uh, Richard Bam, which I never saw, and even uh, Tony uh, from uh, Fangoria, Tony Timpone. I believe it is, and uh, tons of other stuff like I'm saying here. They talk about uh, a couple interviews with Richard Band on here. Uh, it And uh, what else is on here? Trailers, of course, extended scene, uh, just really cool stuff. Uh, it, it's actually amazing. You can even see script comparisons on here, and included is a comic book. Another cool thing is the limited editions two disc. The second disc has an integral cut on there, so if you want that, buy now. And it also includes this uh, featurette, uh, the films of H.P. Lovecraft, which is nice to see because they uh, kind of a refresher course. Most of the movies you've heard of, they start early, and uh, it's nice to see how uh, Stuart Gordon pretty much changed the Lovecraft genre for film. Uh, but it's, it's really cool to see. There's even a couple of nice ones in there that I, I forgot about or I didn't think were really Lovecraft movies. And I was like, oh, Dark Heritage. I've heard of it, have it, never watched it. Uh, so, yeah, if you like The Reanimator, I would highly recommend picking up this set. It looks great. It's loaded with features. It has a freaking comic book. has three commentaries. has a making of. has an intro, two cuts, all remastered in 4K. It sounds good. And uh, it's nice to see this movie finally get the respect it deserves on Blu-ray. Fortunately, the police accepted the explanation that Halsey went mad. Well, what else could they believe? The truth? That he died and came back? We did it, Dan. The neck is broken. Being around a dead person is not what you would imagine. It's very strange. You get no vibe, you get no rhythm, you get no, you get nothing. The next one here is from Afka. Yeah, Afka kind of came out of nowhere, and they were. They, it seems like they have a bunch of stuff they're going to be releasing. This one is Zodiac Killer. It also comes with another Son of Sam. The Zodiac Killer, yeah. I had actually heard of this movie before. Uh, I think it was something weird release, and uh, I'm interested in serial killers and whatnot, but uh, this movie, the story is much better than the actual movie. This, the making of the movie is the more interesting part here, and that's why it's cool, because it includes an a interview with the director and a, a commentary with the director and the guys from Africa talking to him and about whatnot. Essentially, uh, everybody knows the story of the Zodiac Killer. The Zodiac uh, was a killer in the late 60s, early 70s that went unsolved. He got away with what he did. And this movie basically is there and made to find the real Zodiac Killer. They wanted to put it in theaters and spy and see if the guy would come in because anybody knows the Zodiac Killer was very egotistical. He wrote letters to police, if it was even him. The case is really confusing. Uh, so what they did was they were hoping that he would come in the theater and they could catch him. Uh, the movie itself is dated, of course, uh, really cheesy, 
but it has some really great moments. One of the there's a couple suspects they kind of point to. Uh, they want to uh, and they they follow the real story as much as they can. They do take some big liberties, especially when they kind of coast off in the comedy or coast off into these weird uh, side plots where they're just speculation of the killer or they're just added kills or they're, they're very bizarre stuff here. But there's a, a character in here that's this kind of misogynistic, abusive husband, uh, ex-husband. And he's just an asshole, but he's such a good asshole. He seems like a legit human being that you would meet. Uh, there's a moment in a restaurant. Uh, the other suspects in there as well, they know each other. And he's kind of off to the side. And he's like, what's the special? And the waitress says, delicious rabbit stew. Uh, not knowing that the other guy to the right is obsessed with loves rabbits. And he says, rabbit stew? No. Uh, and then the guy on the right says, nobody should eat rabbits. And then... The waitress says, everybody loves rabbit stew. And he says, I don't really give a shit about any of this. Just bring me a ham sandwich. And his delivery, I don't really give a shit about this, is so real that you can tell this guy has said this to multiple people. It just fits well. As for the other character who's like the mailman, uh, he's kind of a civil servant, and they're kind of pointing that he's the killer. So it, it's really kind of going in and out of these characters in this weird, misogynistic, bizarre movie with you know some outdated slurs here and there. Uh, but it is 1970 after all, so you can expect that. Uh, the violence in here is not really gratuitous or anything. I think, hell, I, I, the movie's probably PG. But uh, it's a very interesting take. And to hear the director talk about it and have those close encounters with actually possibly catching the guy is really cool as well. So it's one of those deals that the making of and the story about the movie is better than the movie. But the disc kind of has it all in there. All in all, the movie is kind of solid and entertaining, even though it's kind of just bizarre and weird and out there. Uh, definitely a movie that's not made by a lot of, you know, somebody who wasn't making movies all the time so that's the zodiac killer the other movie on here my god is called another son of sam and in the opening of this one um they kind of post in and they say thank you for everyone who contributed to uh, the victims of the fa the family's victims to giving us information so i'm like all right maybe this is going to be a you know a little bit legit and then it just boom and it pops up and starts naming all these killers it's like jack the ripper killed 17 prostitutes it's like he didn't kill 17 prostitutes i don't know if the information back then was different but it's just like it, it tells you like this is gonna kind of be serious and maybe we're gonna take this seriously and then boom right the first thing they do is a bold-faced lie so i was like geez louise and this one man another son of sam i think that this movie will only uh appeal to people that like bad movies, really bad movies, because there's a lot of point of view camera work. It's very inept. It's very weird. The acting's strange. Uh, at times it will freeze frame and the dialogue will continue almost like the end of the reel was bad and they had sound. I'm not sure what is going on with this movie. It is pretty painful to get through, but I think with a crowd it, it could crack some people up and enjoy it, which is not really my thing, to be honest. So I did not enjoy it. It was a chore to get through. Uh, it is in widescreen, which is funny because the other one is in... Uh, and the full screen, probably how it was shot. Uh, both the movies look good, especially for old kind of grindhouse movies and cheap movies. But Another Son of Sam actually looks better than Zodiac Killer, and it's a much worse movie. Uh, but just a super weird uh, movie. It's about an escape killer who goes on a crazy rampage. Uh, but yeah, it, uh, it does, I guess, have unintentional humor. While the Zodiac Killer kind of put in some dark humor and tried to make it, you know, a, a a semi-realistic serial killer another son of sam is just a sloppy mess uh, with a lot of skiing and a lot of weird shit going on and camera angles i cannot recommend watching another son of sam unless you want some laughs good evening ladies and gentlemen bob keel here tonight we have more news on the zodiac killer hey fellas hold it down i want to hear this he writes another letter to the papers and i quote this is the zodiac speaking I am the murderer of the taxi driver over on Washington and Maple Street. 
They could have caught me last night if they had searched the park properly instead of holding road races with their squad cars. next one here is from Africa Films as well. This is Effects. You know, I had seen this on the old Synapse uh, uh, DVD, and I hadn't watched it since that was released in like 2005, 2004. Uh, but yeah, this is a movie made in Pittsburgh by uh, some of George Romero's friends. Joe Pilato's involved. Uh, Abuba or Pubba, uh, he's involved with Dawn of the Dead. All these guys, almost everybody in here probably had a finger in Dawn of the Dead and Martin and that stuff, or worked with Romero at some point. But uh, what we have here is an interesting, interesting concept. Now, it's not as good as the concept would suggest the film, but it's still a solid movie and different. Uh, also, John Harrison stars in it, who did uh, who does scores. He did scores for stuff like uh, Day of the Dead, which is actually my favorite score from a dead film, and probably my favorite score ever, to be honest. I love the kind of Calypso like feeling to it. Really love it. But uh, John Harrison's in it as well. What we have here is a movie about making movies, which are usually painful. I don't want to say that, but they are. Uh, but there's more going on here. More than meets the eye. We have this group of kind of weird actors and a weird uh, director who's very cold and callous and taking all this crew out to this cabin they're supposed to stay there uh and pretty soon we realize that something's going on is he making a snuff film are they filming them filming them it gets really weird and really bizarre tom savini's in it he plays an asshole and he does it really well uh and there's some really genuine creepy moments in here and it starts to get into these weird layers that's like it's a I'm a movie watching a movie make I'm watching a movie where they're making a movie where they're making a movie of that movie they're making it's it's just kind of insane to think of it uh but the ending is pretty pretty down, pretty downbeat, and I love the uh, marquee. That's all I'll say. It's a very gritty-looking movie. I believe it was shot in 16. It's a dark-looking movie. It's it's kind of a gross-looking movie, uh, but it's really cool to watch a lot of these faces in here. It was kind of a lost movie, so when Synapse released it, it was really cool. Uh, it looks better than the Synapse DVD. It's in widescreen. Uh, the score is really cool as well. It's got a weird kind of melodramatic touch, but I, I enjoy the hell out of the score. And, and the score kind of goes savage at one point and kind of the ads does pew, pew, pew from like Animal Holocaust. You hear that a couple times. Uh, not over, overly graphic, but one of the scenes could be deemed pretty disturbing, probably uh, tame or just slightly disturbing by today's standards and involving snuff. But uh, I like the movie. I think it's interesting. I don't, I don't think it's great, but I think it's a great uh, piece of cinema, kind of that patch between stuff. And I think it's interesting as hell. There's a commentary on here with uh, the three main filmmakers, John Harrison, the director, Dusty Nelson, and uh, uh, Bubba or Puba, who uh, Booba, I, I can never say his name, but he's, like I said, he was involved with Dawn of the Dead. I think he was even one of the bikers and worked behind the scenes and everything, or his brother was one of the bikers. But regardless, yeah, they're, they do a commentary from 2004 or 5 release, and that's interesting to hear them talk about everything and the making of, and it, they, they seem to have good fun. There's a, may, there's a making of on here as well. George Romero's interviewing that about the movie, although he didn't really wasn't involved but he was involved when it screened and whatnot that's interesting as well 
uh, see the camaraderie between the groups of people. Joe Pilato's in it. They're all joking around. They're all making, la they're all laughing and everything. That's really nice to see. Michael Felcher actually directed that one. It actually has a commentary for that too, which I didn't get a chance to check out. But there's two short films on here as well. Really bizarre movies. Uh, uh, you know, and, and I will say about effects is it takes place in the wilderness and the Pittsburgh wilderness or the Pennsylvania wilderness. I'll say I'm not necessarily sure if it was outside of Pittsburgh, probably a little bit, but it just looks great. It takes place during the fall. And one of the short films on here, Besties or Beastie, I believe it's called. I, I can't recall by John Harrison. It's not by John Harrison, by Dusty Nelson. Uh, looks great too because the foliage and everything. So uh, 16 millimeter Pittsburgh or Pennsylvania foliage looks great. Uh, the the blue air looks solid. Kind of a bizarre cover. I, I kind of like what Afka's doing here, but uh, there's also a trailer reel on the Zodiac Killer. I forgot about to say that. But yeah, uh, FX is definitely worth watching as a, as a curiosity for sure. <laughs> okay, let's see a movie. Nobody is going to believe a spurt of blood. They'll believe anything we show them. She's pretty good with that razor, huh? You got to put her in the movie. Well, I still don't know what to do when he comes in. No, no, you're fine. You're stoned. You're confused. Besides, everything's happening too fast for you to even be scared. It's trash. Killing somebody on, on, on film? It's sick. No, no, no. This isn't what I thought it was. people would pay to see something like that sure people pay to see anything Next one, actually, I don't have a copy of. I watched it on Amazon streaming, and it is Endgame by Joe D'Amato. Or, yeah, and this one has Al Cliver and George Eastman and Bobby Rhodes, among others. Yeah. Wow. This movie is crazy. This is a post-apocalyptic game of death movie. Uh, it has mutants in it. It has all sorts of stuff. Psychics. It has all Nazi villains. It's just a smorgasbord of weird and entertaining crap. The picture quality looks terrible on Amazon. I wish this would get a Blu-ray release. I had never saw it, but uh, I had heard about it, and I was interested in checking it out. I saw it there on Amazon Prime, and I was like, I'm going to watch it. And uh, although the picture quality is terrible, I was vastly entertained throughout. Al Cliver's in this game of death with George Eastman and Bobby Rhodes and some others, a la Running Man, made way before Running Man. He uh, picks a couple of them off, but George Eastman and him have this kind of fight deal where they're, they're, the, the game has to finish until one of them's dead. They have this kind of weird camaraderie where they hate each other, but they want they come from the same town. They want to kill each other. It's really cool. Uh, uh, but the psychic wants to hire Al Kleiber and a group of guys to drive her across to the desert so she can, and her and her mutant psychic friends who are persecuted can kind of like, you know, find a home and find a life. Uh, Al Kleiber then turns this into a man on a mission movie where he gets all these kind of experts and shooting stars and strong guys and other people to drive the cars and he brings them all on this mission and drives these psychics across country. But they run into this group of humano animal animaloid weird uh, mutant things and they start fighting and more and more action action packed batshit crazy ridiculous super fun uh it feels like a video game they run into these blind monks uh that are looking through a psychic uh it's just a really cool movie and if you, if you can shut your brain off you will enjoy it it's a lot a lot of fun mean-spirited because it's italian but they're not afraid to kill people uh the way this ends is priceless i love it
The next one I also don't have a copy of. I watched Bridge to Hell by Umberto Lenzi on Amazon streaming. Quality, again, looked like crap. Uh, this is a war movie made in 1986, believe it or not. Uh, I didn't really recognize many of the faces. I recognize faces, but I don't know their names. Uh, this one is kind of a slug, but it's not horrible. It follows a, a Austrian-German, American, and an Italian who escaped from a Nazi uh, war camp. And uh, they're basically on their way to make it, you know, the war's kind of over for them. They run into these uh, other factions fighting the Nazis. They team up. They end up blowing up a bridge, flying planes, dropping bombs manually, and doing all sorts of stuff until they get all Kelly's heroes on it, and they hear about this gold in the combat, and they want to steal it. Uh, The lady they're with used to be a nun. She doesn't want to do it. And that's pretty much the story of them trying to steal this gold, going through and having to do random missions and killing Nazis. Uh... It never feels dangerous for them. Even when some of them are getting hurt or possibly dying, you don't really care. Uh, There's some really bad dialogue in here uh, where all the characters are just major stereotypes from their countries. Uh, Like the Americans are like, oh, I could go for a good Coca-Cola now. And the dubbing doesn't help. But the movie is kind of entertaining. It never slows down. It's just stupid uh, for the most part. But I kind of... I would watch it again probably if it was released on Blu-ray or DVD and looked pretty crisp. Uh, it is big. They blow up bridges and stuff, so there's that going for it. Umberto Lindsay did so many cool movies like Almost Human and some horror movies you guys will be familiar with like Nightmare City and uh, Spasmo and uh, pff, Cannibal Ferox, tons of stuff. So it's really cool. A Bridge to Hell. It's really cool to see some of his other movies. I'm not sure if I saw any of his war movies. I know he did a couple more too. From Hell to Victory, is that Umberto Lindsay? But yeah, I, I think it's a, a curiosity again. I love Italian films, so I wanted to check it out. Uh, Like Umberto Lenzi, I'm kind of soft on this movie. I don't hate it, but uh, it's not great. And uh, Watch the trailer. You'll know if you're going to like it or not. I mean, it's not as good as something like Inglourious Bastards, or uh, definitely not as good as Dirty Dozen or any Kelly's Heroes or anything like that. But you might, if you like Italian war movies, then check it out. the Q&A. Now, I only have a few questions here, but I'll go in really quick. Uh, I'm going to use this camera, so make sure I'll be looking down. Christopher Dallier, what is your favorite film that is black and white? I love Eraserhead and Night of the Living Dead. Uh, pff, Night of the Living Dead is probably my favorite, to be brutally honest. I love Eraserhead as well, but I love Night of the Living Dead. I, I can't really get over Night of the Living Dead. Uh, my favorite movie is Day of the Dead, but the Romero trilogy is kind of like a the quintessential movies to me. But I mean, I love stuff like Creature from the Black Lagoon and Frankenstein as well. When I think black and white, Night of the Hunter, I haven't seen in a long time, but that's a great black and white one as well. There's a lot of good titles, but I'm going to have to go with Night of the Living Dead. You can't really beat it. Uh, Paul Wunkill, do you prefer Argento or Fulci? I prefer Fulci. I probably know Argento's a better filmmaker, uh, but I just really like Fulci. I have a soft spot for him. I like his superstition in his horror movies. There's just lots of stuff I love with Fulci. It's kind of hard for me to... You know, if I even said I like their Gen 2 better, I would feel bad. I mean, Zombie, I'll watch a million times. Beyond, I watch all the time and love it. City of the Living Dead, all that stuff. I mean, Don't Torture a Duckling. Fulci's just the man. And and I know that Argento was uh, versatile, but I don't think he's as versatile as Fulci. That's just how I feel. Uh, Tim Evans, I enjoy Don Dolwer films, and my favorite, George Stover. George Stover's fun. Do you like those films, Galaxy Invaders, The Fiend, Alien Factor? What are other some other low-budget 
films I might not know about. Thank you, buddy. Uh, you know, I've seen Alien Factor, and I really like it. Uh, and I have saw another Don Dohler one I saw was Blood Massacre with George Stober. And if you haven't seen that one, you got to check out Blood Massacre. George Stober plays the lead in that. He plays the baddie, and he's really good in it. And uh, there's this cool uh, monster, without spoiling too much, but Blood Massacre is the one to go for. Uh, and I've also saw Night Beast by Don Dolor, which is really cool. But I've only seen the Alien Factor out of those three, uh, and I enjoy it, enjoy it a lot. Uh, independent filmmakers, I'm trying to think. Uh, you know, I'm more up and up on the newer independent filmmakers. Not the newer ones from, like, the late 80s, early 90s. Don Dolor was more of a 70s guy. He did 80s, too, I think. But uh, <clears throat> let me think. If you haven't seen the J.R. Bookwalter stuff from earlier, I love that stuff, or the Eric Stancy stuff. Uh, but Bookwalter's low-budget stuff, I would recommend, uh, you know, the Dead Next Door, obviously, but the stuff he produced as well from with Tempe, like The Skinned Alive and Bloodletting, and he did Robot Ninja. I love that kind of stuff. Polymorph, Sandman, uh, Ozone. I would check out that kind of stuff. Uh, I would check out Eric Stancy stuff, Ice from the Sun, Savage Harvest. Now, a lot of these are shot on video, so... It's kind of hard to find stuff like Don Doer. Uh, but one that one that might uh, you might like is by Massacre Video called Mutilations, which is uh, it was shot on 16, I believe, and edited on tape. So it looks like tape, but there's a DVD of it. It's not very expensive. It's called Mutilations, and that kind of reminds me of maybe a little bit gorier Don Doer movie, you know, kind of somewhere like a Deadly Spawn maybe. Uh, that's not a Don Dolor, but Deadly Spawn. But yeah, uh, so check those out. Uh, the first one I will be reviewing is from Arrow Films. This is Ronin. This is a 1998 movie, I believe. This is uh, directed by John Frankenheimer, who did the, the French Connection Part 2, uh, The Island of Dr. Monroe remake, and a slew of others. I believe Seconds. Uh, it stars uh, Robert De Niro, uh, Sean Bean, Jonathan Price. Uh, there's another one, uh, Gene Renault from The Professional. So yeah, I had actually never seen this movie. So, uh, I was kind of excited to see it. I had heard good things. I mean, this is, uh, I heard it was, uh, from Pearson of a podcast that this is the last vintage De Niro. Uh, a good friend of mine too also mentioned that it had been pretty good. He's favorite actress, De Niro. So I put this one in, uh, this is a pretty complex kind of thriller action movie. A lot of car chases, a lot of shooting, uh, kind of recalls heat a little bit when the shootouts happen. They're, uh, pretty, pretty intense, uh, it takes place in France where they assembled this team to kind of uh, steal this uh, MacGuffin, uh, which is a, a case. You don't really find out what's in it. Everybody wants this case. The IRA terrorist, uh, Russians, and uh, so it gets pretty crazy. Uh, it's a very international movie. I'll say they're jumping around from uh, city to city. Uh, and the cast is. Some of the people are from uh, Sean Bean's characters from Britain. De Niro's from America. Jean Renault's from France. Uh, there's Russians, like I said, in here as well. And so it's, it's everywhere. There's Irish people. So it, it's just one of those big international kind of action thrillers. Uh, it is a little long. I think the first half, the setup is beautiful. It's great to get you intrigued. Lots of good characters. Lots of good dialogue and interactions and a great shootout. As it progresses, it gets a little crazy that it keeps going. It, it feels Feels like it should have ended three or four times, but we see amazing car chases. Really intense stuff. Looks really dangerous, and as far as stunts, everything's practical. Uh, the acting's really good. <coughs> Excuse me. Robert De Niro kind of plays a very uh, smart, intelligent character. Uh, you can see his brain thinking. He never uh, lets himself get in a bad situation. Uh, and when uh, the action breaks out, when there's violence and shooting, uh, one thing this movie does do is show innocent bystanders get killed, which I thought was uh, you know realistic but crazy at the same time. Selen Starsgaard's also in it, and he's top-notch as uh, kind of a creep. But uh, that, the cast is good. The score, I think, is a little weak. Uh, not horrible, but uh, kind of typical for the time. Uh, a little memorable, but I, I thought it could have used a little bit more. Uh, 
there's a, like I said, there's a lot of good set locations in here. They like visit all around France and stuff. Um, I think, like I said, the setup, the man on the mission, getting this group together is kind of stuff I enjoy to meet all these different characters interacting with each other. Uh, it's a solid action crime thriller for sure, and it's really cool to see De Niro get to work, you know, some magic, play a smart character. Uh, the features on here, uh, there is an interview with the DP, which I thought was cool, a new one. All the archival stuff is ported over, which seems like uh, they, when they were kind of first bringing out DVDs, so it has John Frankenheimer on it, has De Niro, has the whole cast and crew, kind of when you could get those people to sit down and do this kind of stuff for the DVD. So that's really cool as well. There's a John Frankenheimer auto com audio commentary. He seems like an interesting guy, very intelligent, lots of things to say about the movie but uh regardless the movie looks good it sounds good it has a lot of features going for it and uh i was overall impressed with the movie uh it's pretty cool uh solid crime movie and that's a time uh in the 90s it's probably one of the last best crime movies to be brutally honest because the 90s and you know the 70s they had so many good crime movies but in the early 90s we had a glut of them and they were all pretty damn good and then we kind of started to die down in the early 2000s a little bit i think this is one of the last good ones of the 90s for sure uh we did have some in the 2000s but you know like this and uh, especially that hat that high-paced action and stuff i think a lot of people would enjoy the hell out of it just to see uh you know all these uh good actors and actresses kind of intermingling and uh bringing out the best in each other the price has got to go up if it's going to be amateur night i want a hundred thousand dollars i want it up front i want it in a bank account i want another hundred thousand when you get the case I've used before, I love transitions like this because it just throws you right into the next scene. Can you imagine, so you, you have to pay the crew double, but in those times there were a lot of money, I imagine, you see. So Orson Welles decided that uh, he preferred to shoot most of the time in the night. <laughs> when you have a direct director of the epic size of Coppola looking at you with those eyes and you rise to the occasion, the next one here is actually uh, from Arrow as well. This is the new Battles Without Honor. Uh, I had actually never seen the original set. I bought the movies, but I hadn't had a chance to watch it. But I've seen Cops vs. Thugs and Doberman Cop also put out by Arrow from this director and Battle Royal. But uh, this guy did tons of Yakuza movies. These three movies were made right after the first five battles, but they're not related in the series. All three of these movies actually star new characters and everything. Uh, the features are a little slim on here. Just one interview with like a writer or a, a, a filmist historian, but uh, I imagine that most of the people involved with these movies is dead. But uh, the first film is New Battles Without Honor. This uh, follows the story of a uh, Yakuza or a guy who uh, commits a murder and gets put in jail. Uh, prison for seven years he gets out and he uh, wants the money that's owed to him for the murder he committed they have this weird kind of uh, relationship with the yakuza when you do that kind of stuff and uh, he basically gets pitted between these two crime bosses the, kind of the second in charge and the the main guy and uh, he's kind of pitted between these two and uh, you see where his loyalties end up taking landing and uh, he ends up uh, doing some things here and there and it, it, these movies are very complex uh, with a lot of complex issues when one guy does this somebody else does this and it's very strange how they work because we'll see this like this complex stuff playing out in real time and then all of a sudden something major important event will happen and it'll be like and it'll just be a picture and it will it will continue on and it'll be like well this also happened and you're like you know that's a real strange way to push these st stories forward when you spend so they definitely pick the and choose what they're going to show you and they use these kind of big moments as uh, kind of like still pictures and some action here and there to move the story forward uh 
I do appreciate that these movies are all fairly short. They're about an hour and a half, and a lot of crime films, uh, even Ronan, like I mentioned earlier, is, over, is, is is like two hours long, and sometimes they get old. Uh, you know, they, they wear out their welcome. These do not. Uh, I do think that New Battles Without Honor, the first film in the trilogy, uh, is the weakest, but uh, uh, Shugawara, uh, I, I probably mispronounced his name, Shugawara, he's in all three of them, he's in, a, he's in a bunch of other movies by this director, and he does a really good job, impressed with his acting, uh, and this one, like I said, it, it's, it's kind of fun how he's pitted between these two, uh, but I think it's the weakest one. The next one on here is The Boss's Head. This one was probably my favorite. Again, it involves him going to jail uh, and as he gets out. But this one's a, a little bit different. He kind of uh, He's kind of a, a, tra a wanderer, and he ends up helping out uh, this Yakuza's uh, son-in-law to kill this other crime boss so they can take over. Uh, when he gets out, uh, he realizes the guy he thought was going to become the crime boss, a drug addict, is kind of a loser, and he's married to the, the main Yakuza's the main Yakuza's, uh daughter so he's kind of like uh taking care of but he he's a he's a pest he's a nuisance uh this kind of puts this uh the lead in this movie uh Sugawara in a bad situation because he figured that he would end up uh being the right hand man of the new yakuza leader which would have been him but he somehow infiltrates this gang and gains the trust of the main yakuza leader this upsets some other people and he has to play his cards right what's interesting about this movie is there's this character in here who's a woman they say anyone she sleeps with ends up dead and that's kind of what's going on at times She's, they call her a bad luck maid. Uh, there's a lot of there's some nudity in here, which is kind of surprising in a lot of these crime movies. Uh, not always nudity, but uh, this one I think is the best how it unfolds and how the characters are sneaking around and uh, what he ends up doing and how he commits the crimes. Uh, I think this is probably the best, and he also gets to kind of go ballistic here and crazy and scare the crap out of all the other characters in here. So I think this one's probably the most solid just because how the story unfolds. They're all fairly similar stories, uh, but they're different and they're, they're they follow a different narrative. They're not interconnected. Uh, the final one in here is uh, the last days of the boss, I believe, and uh, this one's actually probably the biggest of the three pretty crazy go stuff going on in here uh this time around, uh, Shigawara, uh, his his uh, boss is killed, but uh, he wants to take vengeance on a boss, but the other bosses realize, no, you don't want to do that because we're trying to come to a peace agreement. He thinks this is ridiculous. So he goes nuts, to, and he gets full of a bloodlust, and he refuses to stop. He's not even going to take out the pit boss that he was supposed to take out in the first place. He's going to take out the head honcho, which is going to cause an all-out war, which is going to cause panic, which is going to cause both sides to want to attack him. And this is exactly what happened. With him and his small gang, they're basically running around trying to take out the main crime boss. There's a lot of uh, car action happening here, uh, and there's a lot of double crossing with the gang when a bounty's put on his head. This one's the biggest and the craziest, and it has the the biggest ending, which I love. Uh, the ending's probably the best on this one. I think it's a, a fair way to end these movies. Unfortunately, I haven't seen the first five of the, the series, although they are unrelated. On, on but out of this trilogy, I think it was a great way to end it. And it's probably the second best of the bunch, uh, to be honest. I think this one, like I said, has the most action uh, again it has the uh, it has a strange like murder involved in here and it even involves a transvestite which is kind of bizarre in here Regardless, I think they're really cool movies, especially if you like Yakuza movies or you haven't seen any Yakuza movies. Uh, I was entertained throughout. I thought they were pretty unique movies, and uh, I'd give them a recommend. Uh, they're short for uh, crime films, and uh, they get to the point. And uh, after a while, and, and at first, some people may be confused because uh, the first 15 minutes they're introducing all these characters, they're introducing all these scenarios, and you don't know who's with who. Uh, but by the end, you know exactly what's going on. It's not one of the type of movies where you're completely confused. Uh, and there's also a great story in here with brother and sister that I really dug, uh, and uh, kind of a Romeo and Juliet kind of story. She 
uh, Shigawara's sister is married to a guy who's in the other crime family, so it starts this weird relationship. Uh, yeah, they're pretty cool stuff. Like I said, there's short uh, like interviews with the writer on here, but they're they're not they're good interviews. They're, it's not just padded crap where it's like 15 minutes of a guy talking. Not this nonsense. I think that it's interesting stuff myself. <laughs> The next one here is Stuart Gordon's The Pit and the Pendulum from Full Moon. Yeah. I had seen this movie before. It had been a while. I hadn't seen the Blu-ray. Uh, and a lot of people were like, Full Moon's terrible Blu-ray. I think the picture and the sound sounds pretty solid on this one. And this was made in 91. It was supposed to be a bigger budget movie. Uh, but Stuart Gordon, everybody knows him, reanimator from beyond uh, Space Truckers. He's done a slew of stuff. Uh, Castle Freak, also by Full Moon. But Stuart Gordon's probably one of the most underrated uh, horror, American horror directors ever, I'm going to say. Probably is number one most underrated. Uh yeah, but this movie stars Lance Henderson, Jeffrey Combs, uh, Tom Tolles, uh, Mark Magolas. It's got a bunch of people in here. Uh, Francis Bay. It's got a packed cast, uh, and it's a really bizarre movie. It follows the true story of the Spanish Inquisition, but it mixes the Edgar or Poe story uh, with the, uh, the Pit and the Pendulum, which is basically about a guy being tortured. I'm not sure I've read that one, but it's just a guy going crazy waiting for the torture. But uh, they add Lance Hendrickson in here, who plays Torquemado, who's a real person in real life. Oh, not to mention Oliver Reed's in this movie in a small role. Love all read but uh, he plays Torquemado and he is a intense intense role I don't think it's his best role but I think it's probably one of his most intense of all time he's actually intimidating and scary uh, you can even see that he is sort of intimidating in the behind the scenes because he kind of stays in the character. But what happens here is a uh, uh, baker's wife and a uh, baker and his wife kind of get intermingled and accused of being witches. And Torquemado kind of has this uh, Frollo from Hunchback thing going on where he falls in love with uh, the baker's wife, but he kind of wants to re fight his repressed sexual urges. So the movie's really sleazy and gross in that way, but it also adds that weird kind of comedy that Stuart Gordon does, the dark comedy, which is uh, pretty prevalent in his movies. But uh, he. He's not afraid to be dark and grimy and sleazy and put comedy in it and somehow miraculously come across with a tone that doesn't seem so all over the place. I don't know. He's one of the only guys that can manage to do that, uh, have a dark movie that is funny at the same time. Uh, who's a Stephen Lee's in here, and he's great. He plays Gomez, the guy who removes the bodies. My only complaint about The Pit and the Pendulum is that uh, there's some really bad wigs. That's all I can really complain about the movie. But there's, a, I've always liked the Spanish Inquisition films, the the Witchfinder movies, like Witchfinder General, Mark of the Devil, uh, the Devils. I really kind of like that stuff. Uh, it's kind of a gross part of our, uh, you know, American, uh, not even American, but I mean the world history, which I've always been intrigued by. It is American in some instances with the Crucible and stuff, but mostly just world history. Uh, but Lance Hendrickson's intense. There's some blood here. There's some nasty stuff going on. There's some laughs here and there. There's some good action, and uh, at the end with the pendulum actually swinging and people fighting. Uh, it's pretty cool. There's some hallucina uh, hallucinatory stuff with uh, Lance Henderson. But, uh, and there's some supernatural stuff going on here, too, with actual witches. Uh, on here is the video zone and stuff like that. All that stuff's ported over from the old DVD and VHS. Uh, it's not a slew of features, but uh, it's a pretty cheap release right now. I think it's 8 bucks on Amazon, but you can probably find it other places, too. But uh, I'd recommend Pit and the Pendulum. I I've always thought it was kind of uh, one of Stuart Gordon's kind of underrated movies. That and Fortress, especially Fortress. The Spanish Inquisition, a time when religion was fear. There is one faith, and all 
is sin. Innocence meant death. And love was lust. The master of this madness was Chief Inquisitor Torquemada. Some souls have turned so far from God that pain is the only way to call them back. She was an angel of light. Stop! Have mercy! Stop! Who would tear his world of torture apart. In Christ's name, I thank you. Have mercy! Arrest her. No. Maria is like an angel. Satan was an angel. Take me into the castle. And direct me to the dungeon where they keep the women accused of being witches. You love me. Let down or he dies. from mankind's darkest age comes evil's ultimate weapon. Look up, razor sharp. The pit and the pendulum. and near dark. Jeffrey Combs of Reanimator and the Devil's Oliver Reed. The Pit and the Pendulum. It's a slice of history. Then we have a Jack Hill's movie. I believe this is Jack Hill movie. At least he produced it. Uh, it says it's Brian Stewart directed, but sometimes you look it up and it says it's Jack Hill. But this is The Sorceress. Oh, wow. Uh, I saw the trailer from this movie. I realized it used Battle Behind the uh, Star score in the movie and the trailer, along with Space Raiders does the same. So I was like, this looks amazingly fun. I love Jack Hill. You know, I love coffee. I love Foxy Brown. I love, uh, you know, Spider Baby. So I wanted to check this one out. I put it in, and at first it was a uh, Deliver the Goods. Super exploitative sword and, uh, I guess they call them sandal movies, or sword and sorcery movies is more like it. Uh, yeah. Uh, what we have here is uh, an evil kind of a, I guess, wizard who uh, wants uh, his firstborn to sacrifice to this god to bring them back. He has three lives. Uh, it turns out that there's twins. He kills the the twins' parents, and uh, an old ancient uh, fighter takes the twins and gives them to a small peasant family and says, raise them as your own. Make sure nobody knows they're females. So these two are raised as warriors by this old man, taught them how to fight. And uh, over the time, you know, the wizard comes back because he only lost one of his lives. He brings a slew of weirdos with him, including a girl who is scantily clad and a monkey man who is clearly a guy in a suit. Uh, what per pursues is uh, them finding this weird ragtag team of people, one including a caveman, one guy that looks like a dwarf who's probably the best character in the movie, and they run. A, they, they bump into zombies, they bump into you know, goons and weirdos and whatnot. Uh, the movie sounds amazing, doesn't it? Uh, the dubbing hurts it really bad. Uh, it's a, every, Everybody's off by a second, but uh, what makes up for it and his dubbing and it's terrible acting and it's just stupidity it has a lot of 
nudity, has a lot of action. Uh, the twins are kind of doing that fish out of water thing where they're really kind of just bizarre and walking around with their breasts hanging out because they don't know any better. Uh, there's this weird scene where they they feel each other's emotions, they're empathetic to each other, so when one has sex, the other one feels it. Uh, regardless, it's fun. It's really dumb. There's a fly down here. That same fly probably from last week. But uh, it's really dumb. I don't know if I can really recommend it. Uh, if you like the Sword and the Sorcery movies, there's not that many good ones, let's be honest. Uh, what is it? Sword and the Sorcery is there. Conan the Barbarian. Uh, Conquest. But uh, it's fun. It's got a lot of nudity. It's got some action. It's got some zombies. It's got this weird uh, lion thing. It's got a floating head that shoots laser beams. Uh, the acting's terrible. Most of the characters are terrible. Uh has some features on the disc I didn't get a chance to look to, but uh, the Sorceress. Uh, watch the trailer; it's not as good as that, uh, but uh, you may find some enjoyment at, at the actual picture. You're not going to be bored from it. <laughs> comes the magical adventure of a sorcerer sworn to conquer the world. And magical women warriors fighting with the skills of the masters. The next one here is 10 to Midnight with my boy. Gerald Bronson. Uh, yeah, I had never seen this one. This is by uh, Lee, Lee Thompson. He did a bunch of Bronson movies, and he did a bunch of movies besides that. Uh, yeah, 10 to Midnight. That's a Twilight Time release. Uh, I checked this one out. I can't believe I hadn't seen it. I know it's bad. Like, I'm going through, like, uh, Bronson Renaissance where I'm watching all the ones I hadn't seen, and it's just, like, enjoyable as hell, to be honest. Uh, but, yeah. Ten to Midnight. Uh, this is great. Bronson plays a cop, but he plays this kind of complex cop. He's paired up with uh, Andrew Stevens, who worked with Bronson earlier in Death Hunt, and uh, he's also from Massacre at Central High. Uh, they're after this uh, killer who strips completely nude. He's like this narcissist, narcissist killer, and he really feels like a real serial killer. He is so egotistical. He hates women, and the way he delivers uh, lines and interacts with human beings is just generally very creepy. Uh, but Bronson and Andrew Stevens get whiff of this guy. Wilford Grimley is their commanding officer, which is great to see as well. Uh, and uh, Bronson gets tunnel vision for this guy, but we know as an audience he's the killer. But Bronson starts to kind of, you know, not play fair, which uh, I love seeing Bronson, you know, kind of break the rules. Uh, Andrew Stevens is the level-headed cop, and uh, the killer starts to target Bronson's girl's daughter, which is a which is a no-no. Uh, uh, she's a nurse, so we get her friends hanging around, and we get some murders in between. This killer is uh, very smart, very clever. The movie's sleazy. What, there's some really great unintentional moments of humor in here, which I actually love. Some of them are intentional, some are not. It's just bizarre. It's a Golem and Glowless canon movie, so you can kind of expect that weird off-the-wall shit happening. But uh, there's a scene where... One of the girls dies, and they tell everybody at work she died, and they do a pan over on everybody at work, and they're like, no, no, and it's just super weird. Like, the boss in the movie is just not a good actress, or she's just super crazy and really bizarre, and that's just this weird unintentional humor where there's just a couple actors or characters, and they're completely off the freaking wall. I don't know what they're doing, but uh, there's a great moment, one of my favorite moments in here is when Bronson's uh, going to the hospital and he's going to eat with his daughter and they're online. He's not really paying attention to what he's grabbing. He grabs a coleslaw and he grabs a pie, which is what he thinks is pie. And he gets to the end. He's like, Dad, why do you like quiche? He's like, I hate quiche. I thought it was pie. Ugh, 
I hate coleslaw too. And then it cuts to this lady. It gets one of those cutscenes. She says, then why did you get it? We don't know who this lady is, but it's just a beautiful moment. It's like, I almost think that Bronson was on lunch and they filmed him and they just caught his reaction. Like I hate quiche. And I just, I love that scene. It's just really funny and it gets to see Bronson have fun. Uh, but there's a really uh, complex scene in here. There's a courtroom scene and I don't want to spoil too much, but Bronson did some shady stuff and he has to come clean. And it's, it's a really complexity with his character in here and, uh, you know, about vigilanteism and cops breaking the law to catch somebody who, you know, is freaking guilty. It's, it's got a lot of uh, gray areas in here, but, uh, one of Bronson's best, if you ask me, and, uh, just a really good movie with a really sleazy killer who's running around naked. I'm surprised they did it uh i mean it's, it's not you don't see everything but you see a lot hanging around and stuff and uh just a really creepy character and lots of good moments in here i'd highly recommend 10 to midnight a sensational crime an airtight alibi we can't lay a finger on this guy and a chain of evidence bring him in charles bronson is a cop looking for a killer and he's running out of time. Go ahead, take me in. You can't punish me. When the guilty go free, I just got to be a free man. The system is the crime. I want a killer, and what I want comes first. Well, how come I've never heard him mention a daughter? It seldom crosses his mind that he has one. He's one angry man with someone to protect. Along with your father. He can make a difference. You like hurting girls? I won't answer that. Girls won't have anything to do with you, but you get back at them, don't you? <gasps> I won't listen to your filth. Uh, Look, I gotta remind you about evidence obtained under duress. It's inadmissible, Leo. We got no evidence and we can't hold this kid. He's our man, Captain. I'm gonna get him. Found some blood. He's lying. There was no blood on my clothes, and he knows it. Yeah. How do you plead, Warren? Guilty or not guilty? Not guilty. The last thing I want to do is get involved with a cop. Well, I don't blame you. Leo, I went back to the lab and I talked to the technician. And I asked him if you... Why didn't you ask me? Isn't that true, Lieutenant? You planted the evidence. You know why. We could nail it sooner or later. After counting how many more dead. Liar! He had to be stopped. After all the evidence is in, he'll reach his own verdict and execute the sentence by the deadline. When there is no justice, this man is the law. Ten to midnight. Charles Bronson, Lisa Eilbacher, and Andrew Stevens in a Golan Globus production of a J. Lee Thompson film. Ten to midnight. Into the Q&A. I'll do these really quick. I'm going to read off the paper, so sorry, guys. Oliver Cook asks, I know you mentioned Marcus Cook, special effects before, uh, but what, who else do you think is a great FX artist? Are you talking about, like, the bigger ones, or, uh, you know, are you talking more about... Um Kind of like the indie guys. If we're talking indie guys, there's tons. Arthur Culliber and Shane Beasley are great. Uh, they did the headless stuff. They do. They did some of the effects on Space Base from Outer Space. Uh, toe tag effects are great. If you've seen any of their stuff, like Selaturska, you know the head split. Tons of stuff. They work on other movies. Fractured's a movie they worked on that's actually really good effects on there. I think Jeremy Cruz worked on that. Fred might have. They both did actually. The effects are really good. That movie that's actually an underrated movie with uh, Vinnie Jones in it. Uh, kind of a thriller crime movie. Uh, kind of also surreal and crazy. Really enjoyed that one. Other independent guys out there. Dustin Mills uh, directs, but he does a lot of his own effects, especially uh, digital effects, but practical effects. He does those as well. I think people would be surprised what some of the effects he did do. Uh, and I think uh, in some of the movies, you know, 
Uh, sometimes he works with Marcus. Like in Torment, he did some of the effects too, and I think that you know a lot of them are really good. Uh, he's he's one of the better guys out there for indie guys. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other ones. Uh, Brian Pollan does great effects. Ryan Nicholson does great effects. Uh, Brian Pollan's effects are really kind of a uh, whole main looking and gross, and I enjoy it. But as the big guys are concerned, Rob Bottin, I mean, the thing can you really go wrong with the things effects? Uh, Rick Baker, uh, Miracle Morph from London, uh, Tom Savini's his inventiveness on stuff like Day of the Dead, Giannotti De Rossi from the Italian films. I mean. Who's going to throw those maggots and stuff? The zombies in Zombie look so damn gross and good. And uh, the drill through the face. He did a lot of inventive stuff as well. And then there's some lessers like Steve. I mean, not lessers, but Steve Johnson's really good as well. And uh, Mark Schustrom, he did a bunch of stuff on like, uh, what is that, Blood Rage. So there's so many good special effects artists out there. And you count like stop motion guys like Ray Harryhausen. Uh, just tons and tons of good stuff, but tons of good effects guys. I probably missed a bunch, but those are the ones off the top of my head that I can think about. Then we have uh, Mike Knight, favorite melt movie and why? I think it's a genre that could someday put zombies to rest with the right template. Uh, you know, you're probably expecting me to say something completely special, but I'm going to tell you it's street trash. Street trash because when they melt, they're all different colors and they're all gross and it's all different in the movie. I love the movie even if it didn't have the melting in there. It's just a sleazy slice of trashy New York, like that stuff. But it's street trash. Tons of melting. It's the quintessential melt movie. I also like Incredible Melting Man. I also like, you know, I love movies that just have meltdowns. Uh, I also... Uh, uh, like Fright Night 2 as a meltdown. Love that with the uh, vampire and rollerblades. I uh, also like stuff like uh, oh, what's up? Re Re Revenge of the Radioactive Reporter. Love that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, so I just talked to Avenger Count. Uh, yeah, I love melt movies. Every time somebody melts, I'm like, awesome. A lot of vampires melt too in movies. Just melt down completely. I know I mentioned Friday Night. Christopher Dallier, what is your favorite shot on video film? I love Anthropophagus 2000 and video violence. I would like to be entered in the... Okay. Uh, yeah, favorite shot on video movie. Again, you guys are going to be expecting it's like throw these ones off the wall. Uh, a quick mention, Venus Flytrap's a really good movie released by Massacre Video, but my two favorites are really Burning Moon, which I love as an anthology by Olaf Edenbach, and uh, Redneck Zombies, released from Trauma, originally from Full Moon. Love Redneck Zombies. Uh, just like... Back there was a time when like it wasn't cool to be on PC with your humor, and Redneck Zombies was that time when it's like we don't care. We're gonna make fun of everybody. We're gonna do it raunchy and stupid, and uh, you know it was like South Park before South Park. Uh, maybe not as smart as South Park, but I love Redneck Zombies. Love it to hell. Love the music in it. Love everything about it. Uh, Aaron Fram, what is your opinion on directors using their favorite band's music for horror movie opening credits or used it all for the matter of the movie? Personally, I hate it with a passion. I love movies that have a soundtrack that is specific to the film, like Halloween, Hellraiser, Friday the 13th, any score by Goblin Inc. I can't stand to sit through listening to some death metal song during the opening credit. I have nothing against any type of music, but I just feel it doesn't do the film any justice. Some people like, like the music, some might hate it. So why exclude a portion of your potential audience by making them sit through your favorite songs? The soundtrack is indefiable as that movie's atmosphere. Uh, identifiable. Oops, sorry about that. I thought I saw an extra N in there. It doesn't age the movie by playing eventually outdated music or music that might that some might find cheesy or not appropriate for the soundtrack. Just curious how many people feel this way. Uh, I hate when a movie has like random best friend metal music in it when there's like uh, it'll set up this really suspenseful scene then a knife will come out and I'm like, I'm like why is this in here man I prefer the scores especially for creepy stuff but you know Goblin crosses that line it's like a prog rock and they kind of come out heavy sometimes but I love Goblin because it fits with the style uh, now I think movies that have soundtracks like the Lost Boys that actually have like this hand-picked soundtrack that matches the movies or songs made for the movies especially in the 80s I love that kind of stuff and that might be nostalgia I'm not sure but what I don't like uh, even if uh, in a movie somebody goes to a concert and they're playing heavy metal I'm down with it and it carries into like the next scene or something I can get by with that but when the heavy metal music like you said or like loud 
music or even a lot of stuff comes out of nowhere. Any music, not even just heavy metal. I don't want to be picking on it, but uh, death metal, whatever, you know, country. It comes out of nowhere and it doesn't fit the movie is when I have a problem with it. Sometimes you can actually use it to your uh, advantage and some movies do do that. But I don't want to throw this movie under the bus or anything, but Orphan Killer is pretty guilty of that. Orphan Killer solid. I don't hate it, but the music choices in that and when they come in really hurts the movie. Uh, I mean, I would never, ever want to hear a, 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 a heavy metal cover of Cry Little Sister. Uh, it's just painful for me. Real painful. It just makes me cringe. I know some people may like it. Some people love it. They love mixing their two favorite things, uh, metal and horror or metal and wrestling and horror and wrestling. You know, they like mixing their favorite things. I, I just, I like scores personally. They're more memorable to me myself, but you know, it's just me. It doesn't mean I'm right. That's just my opinion, but I agree with you, Aaron Fram. Uh, but I do want to say that, uh, if you're making a movie for yourself, do whatever you want. If you don't, I mean, you're going to alienate some people, but you're going to get fans with the heavy metal music, but just do what you think's best for the movie. You know, don't, <laughs> unless you have to answer to studios or producers, but that's how I feel. Tim Evans, I've always enjoyed your views on actors. One of my favorite actresses is Peter Cushing. What are your thoughts on Peter and in Hammer films in general? And have you seen Plague of the Zombies? I love Hammer. Thank you, buddy. Uh... I've not seen Plague of Zombies, but Peter Cushing is one of the all-time greats. I love Peter Cushing. I love his nervousness. I love his eyes. I love his cheekbones. Uh, you know, he has such a great uniqueness to him uh, that many actors do not have. He can play cold and calculated and stern, but he can also play kind of a, a House of Long Shadows. He kind of plays a character of himself where he's kind of a, the word I'm looking for is uh, vulnerable. He does that well. I mean, like somebody like Christopher Lee comes in with that booming, powerful voice, or Vincent Price plays that eccentric kind of weirdo, or Donald Pleasance can play everything as well as he's similar to Cushing. But I think that Cushing gets the least amount of respect among those guys. Maybe besides John Carradine doesn't get as much as those guys, I don't think. But Peter Cushing, I think, is the most underrated of them. I love them all, but Cushing, uh, especially if you look at something like him in Tales from the Crypt, and then you look at him in something like Star Wars, completely different characters. But he has that vulnerability in uh, Tales from the Crypt, which is which is great. I love Cushing. He does an amazing job. He, he's just so good and uh he's like soft-spoken uh if you look at him in uh, he could play that soft-spoken crazy person or soft-spoken like person that you actually feel sorry for at the same time uh one of his most underrated performances is the one with brian cox in silent scream which was a hammer house of horrors episode where he played i don't want to spoil it but he uh he's great in that movie and just a son of a bitch <laughs>